It's not even June, guys. It's not even June. But the question I've got for you is, are the Marlins already cooked in 2022? We're going to dig into that today and more. Stay tuned. Could be a spicy episode. You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Marlins, your daily Marlins podcast, of course, with me, Peter Pratt, and welcome to the Wednesday edition. Hope everyone is doing well. We are pre-game, game two of the series with the Rays. And guys, don't forget to follow me, of course, on Twitter, at Miami Marlins underscore UK. And don't forget to subscribe to the pod or even the YouTube channel if you haven't heard, in case you missed it. There is now a YouTube channel for Locked On Marlins. So really appreciate everyone with the feedback, the engagement thus far. Of course, it's available on the usual pods, uh, platforms, but don't forget to subscribe there or on the YouTube channel. And like I said, it's pre-game, game two, Cody Poteet going for these fish. And I have a new guest, a first-time guest on to Locked On Marlins. Delighted to welcome on Jeremiah Geiger. How you doing? I'm doing excellent, Peter. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to, to be on the podcast today. Absolutely. Well, I'm really excited to to talk the fish. It's been it's been an emotional few hours for me. I was watching the game live last night, uh, UK time. It was uh, you know approaching midnight. Game's on. Let's get into it. And you know, first pitch of the day for Pablo. It ends up in a in an inside the park home run. So I really let's just dive right into it. We got tons to get into today. Absolutely tons. Um, so inside the park home run for Kevin Kiermaier. I mean, just talk me through it. What's your perspective on how that whole thing played out? Jesus Sanchez, Avi Garcia, Eric Gonzalez, Jacob Stallings. What the hell's going on here on this first pitch? So when I watched the play for the first time, and I didn't see it live, but watching it back, when I see the play, I'm seeing Jesus Sanchez trying to do too much. And this all comes back to really the last month or so of him struggling at the plate and now it's starting to carry into the field and we saw that the other day when he had an error um just dropping almost a routine fly ball and he you know it's a line drive it should have been a single at best even with the speed of Kiermaier and he tries to play the superhero and lay go all out for it and it caused the Marlins ultimately a run and I just think he's he's trying to be the star and and really prove to the team that he can be the center fielder but right now he is in all sorts of trouble right now peter all sorts of trouble that is a perfect description he is in all sorts of trouble not just uh, at the plate but this is the thing you make a really good point he's out there maybe he's overcompensating for some of the struggles at the plate i don't know listen kiermaier hits that ball you watch kiermaier He's just trundling into first base. He knows it's just a single. It's a routine single. He's on first base. You know, okay, the Rays have got a rally going. Next thing is, Jesus is fully laid out, and it's a full-blown whiff, right? It is like he goes for it, doesn't even get a glove on it, but should do. It was there to actually be made. But we don't need we don't need Jesus Sanchez out there trying to take on those plays. We just need Jesus Sanchez being serviceable in center field. That's all we need. And actually, thus far, until we got to Sunday, 
been fine. It's been completely fine. The routes are fine. The gloves fine. He looks relaxed. All of a sudden, Sunday drops that clanger. It was that was a proper routine ball as well. I mean, that should be caught what nine hundred ninety nine times out of a thousand, and then maybe tries to make up for it on on you know the Tuesday game, fully laid out. Not good for Jesus. Just trying, you know, from a, a hitting perspective and more generally with Jesus, where's your head at with him now? Because he obviously came up last year, was given full playing time. They shipped Corey Dickerson out of town. We want to have a look at Jesus. Performed pretty well. This season started scorching and has cooled off. And that's probably an understatement. He's more than cooled off. It has been not good for, what, five weeks maybe now for Jesus Sanchez? It's not been good. Where's your head at with him now? And is it the Marlins... Needed to make a decision soon if uh, things don't pick up for him. Well, that's the thing with his hitting right now. He just isn't seeing the ball well. And he's not seeing fastballs. He's not seeing breaking stuff. He's striking out at an absurd rate. And right now, when he does put the ball in play, albeit he hits the ball like, like a missile. Like, he has all the power. He can put hard contact on the baseball. But when he's not seeing the ball well at the major league level, he um, the Marlins have a lot of questions because if they want to win right now, and that's been the narrative this whole offseason, he just isn't a serviceable center fielder right now. Like, plain as day, there's no way to get around it. He's hitting just above the Mendoza line, and now his defense is taking a toll. Until he gets out of this slump, I really don't see any production coming from him at the plate at the moment. Where do the Marlins go? Is it now? I mean, the, the problem they've now got as well is um, Brian De La Cruz, obviously, you know, hit by pitch in the in the Brave series. We haven't seen him since. Not sure on the status of Brian De La Cruz, but you know, let's assume he's near to coming back, and it's nothing. He's not on the IL, so or yet anyway. Um, you know, do the Marlins maybe need to make a call there and give just De La Cruz more of a run right now, and you know, put Sanchez back out in the corners and spot with kind of Avi and, and, and Soler. I don't know. I mean, what options they truly have? Well, with De La Cruz, De La Cruz has been one of the best hitters um, in a short period of time for the fish this season. I really like him ever since he, we acquired him in the trade with Houston last year. He puts the bat on the ball. He doesn't strike out a lot. He's not a speedster, but he's going to steal a bag every once in a while and run in, into an occasional home run. So when you have a player like that who's hitting the baseball, I like to see him out there. I like seeing the players who perform. The problem is, is with Avi Garcia and Jorge Soler, he's been kind of blocked all, all season from playing every day. Now, my honest answer, Peter, is I would love to see the fish go out and make a trade with their oh. pitching depth. Um, but we haven't seen that so far. That's what I would like to see. I mean, they should have made that move, I guess, in, in the offseason, right? They were obviously trying to get a deal done. Something, you know, it, it didn't come together. But nevertheless, is that has that been is that a huge is that on the front office? You know, is the it, it's a huge it was a glaring hole. They couldn't get Marte re-signed. He went to the Mets, you know, the Mets not overpaid. They just you know had more, had more available uh, budget there than, than than the Marlins, clearly. That's always going to be the case. Um, but the way they played out this whole center field situation, yes, they got Lozado back for Marte. The trade itself was stunning, but they should have they should have paid Marte last year and just got it done. I mean, I don't know what they were thinking. They had the answer was there in front of them, 
They've created their own mess. They've created their own problems. And there aren't that many center fielders available. You look up and down the league, center fielders with a good glove and can hit, truly hit. What? There's 10 of them? 12? I don't know. There's, you know, like truly above average dudes. And the Marlins had one. What the hell is going on? I do not know. You've ended up with Jesus Sanchez just like asked to play center field. And fair play to Jesus. He's done it. He took it on. He took on that that challenge. We're starting to see the cracks appear now. And now we're all now thinking, hold on a minute. Is this on the front office that this situation has occurred again in 2022 when the Marlins are all in? Well, you said it perfectly. They had the perfect situation in their hands. Taylor made, they had Starling Marte. And if you look at the offer the Mets gave him, and you look at the offer that Avi Garcia was ultimately offered and and took, I mean, I would much rather have Starling Marte back there than Avi Garcia. And it just makes you wonder why, what's the, what's the ultimate goal of the front office? Because on one hand, they they claimed you know the the financial issues and to an extent i understand that like new york has a way bigger budget than miami but if you're going to hand out 53 million dollars to avi garcia over starling Marte, i don't really know what the direction is of this front office at the moment i just can't tell you was it a panic move did they panic with avi garcia and they just went you know what we're going to pay anyone we're going to sign anyone you have to wonder because at that point with the outfields uh, market, there really wasn't a lot. Once Castellanos, uh, that deal kind of fell through, you looked at the market and there just wasn't that that one superstar, you know? And I wouldn't call yeah. Starling Marte a superstar, but he is miles above Avi Garcia, I believe, at the, at the plate. And I agree. I think the Marlins panicked and they said, well, Avi Garcia is the best next option and they gave him really what he wanted i think they did uh, there's we're going to carry on with this conversation very shortly but speaking of recruitment it's time to let you know guys this episode is brought to you by linkedin linkedin talent solutions and with spring in the air it's a time of renewal and growth personally and professionally as your small business grows linkedin jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free Create a job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Boy, oh boy. Then add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. So LinkedIn jobs helps you find candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on MLB. That's linkedin.com slash locked on MLB to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, let's carry on this thread because it, it is, it's an interesting one. And I also, just going back to the other guys that are available, something that dawned on me yesterday, uh, there was a wild game. The Mets maybe had their first Mets moment of the year, I would describe it as. But they had a wild game with the Giants. Jock Peterson, three bombs on the day. And what I realized was Jock Peterson, fresh off a World Series um, run with the Braves, 
loves red wine. I mean, <laughs> hits from the left side of the plate. He took a one-year, $6 million deal to go to San Francisco. That was tailor-made for the Marlins. I mean, like, when you kind of strip it away, you think this Avi contract could age really badly. And, it's it, you know, we can't get away from it. It's not been good from Avi Garcia the first, what, you know, quarter of the season. It really hasn't. But you look at, like, a Jock Peterson, you go, that would have been a real nice fit too because the problem we've got, and you were alluding to it, you're starting to kind of block dudes. They've got some of the farm coming up. JJ Bladet's ready. You've got other guys kind of approaching. Problem is, you've got Avi Garcia now on a, a multi-year deal. He's, they're blocking them. The guys are blocked. So where do they go with this? I don't know. And the other important thing I think you mentioned too is, where's the strategy? They, you know, the center field thing was was going to be a problem. They should have really got their heads together and sorted that out with Marte. Next thing is they're then signing a, a, a 50 million contract with a corner outfielder. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. It really, it, it didn't. It didn't then. It doesn't now. And now Avi Garcia isn't playing well. Um, you know, it starts to look bad quickly, for sure. What have you made of Avi Garcia thus far? I don't want to kind of pile in too heavily on him, but, you know, it's uh, what's been your initial impressions? Well, my initial impression from Avi is a guy that comes into Miami under a lot of because he this is his first real huge contract he's got. $53 million is a lot of money, right? And he comes out publicly. <laughs> he says, I want to bring a World Series back to Miami. And he's kind of the big uh, focal point of the Marlins offseason. So he comes in and early on, I just saw a guy who is, again, trying to do too much. He was rolling mm. over on almost every single pitch he made contact with, um, striking out a ton. And when I say he's striking out a ton, it's not – they weren't good swings. They were either out of the zone or he's taking pitches down the middle for, for called strike threes. And we're just starting to see him kind of get out of that. But the, the production standpoint, it's really worrisome because – I just don't know if he's going to get to the power output that Marlins fans were expecting from him, especially if you consider the the baseball. I don't want to I don't want to put too much weight on that, but that has played a part in into a few of his swings this year. Yeah, I agree. I agree that you know it's there's definitely been some swings for Avi on some hits where or he's made contact at least anyway where he has thought that's gone. In his head, you can see it. He's like, that's gone. That's out of here. And it hasn't even reached the warning track. So we know we've got to really, and this is maybe where, like, as fans, we kind of need to just pump the brakes a touch because clearly we want these free agents to come in, set the world alight. But offense in baseball is down, and it's designed that way. Major League Baseball has decided we're going to get the offense down. I don't know why. I don't know why the balls are dead, but they are. They have been anyway. Maybe it's the fact that they've got this CBA, this new CBA that means they've all got to spend more money, the clubs. They're like, hey, actually, do you know what? We'll try and control the arbitration a little bit, the free agent class, try and minimize production this year so we can kind of offset some of those uh, CBA uh, pieces. I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, looks like we've lost Jeremiah, so I'm going to be flying solo here for a few minutes. Uh, hopefully, he'll be back shortly. Uh, this is the uh, the challenges, I guess, of of international podcasting. But um, I also wanted to talk about the fact that the the, the Marlins now, I spoke to Joe Versaro uh, for yesterday's episode. And with Joe, 
we were kind of working out what where were the Marlins going with the rotation? Who who was who was kind of likely to get this second game start? What are they doing with Trevor Rogers? All these questions were kind of um, bumbling around in in my mind, in Joe's mind, and the Marlins have answered it. Um, so after we we'd actually spoke, they put it out there. Cody Poteet gets the start, so making his second start of the year. And let's be honest, the first start for Cody Poteet, it was sensational. Really, really impressive. Uh, really impressive work from from Cody Poteet. And um, you know he gets the go again. Uh, Jeremiah is now back in the house. Good to have him back. Jeremiah, we're just talking about Cody Poteet. He gets the start today in game two. Me and Joe Vassar were talking yesterday. Weren't sure. Was it going to be Poteet? Was it going to be a full bullpen day? It still may be a full bullpen day, but what have you made of this kind of, the way they the Marlins have handled this situation where clearly Trevor's dealing with some stuff. Um, we don't quite know what's going on. Poteet started last time around. Um, then he made a, another relief appearance. That says to me that, they're maybe going to go, what, maybe two, three innings or so with Petit tonight. And Trevor Rogers pushed back to another start against the Braves. What have you made of all this kind of shuffling of the arms? I like to see, uh, I would like to see Petit go deeper into the game tonight. But like you said, mm. with the with the relief uh, performance the other day, it's probably not going to happen. I think he'll probably max out around four or five innings at the most. Um, but right now, what other choice do you really have as uh, if you're Don Mattingly, you just don't have um, the depth at the major league level when Luzardo went down. And now with whatever's uh, going on with Trevor and you're pushing him back a day, you're kind of forced to almost throw a bullpen game and it's not a giveaway game, but you're going to have to make some interesting decisions, probably a lot of matchup based um, matchups against, uh, against Tampa and I really like Cody Petit. I, I like him um, as a long reliever, and I would like to see him even start more than Eliezer Hernandez at this point, just based on the production. He has better stuff than Eliezer, and he's he uh, hasn't done anything this season early on to prove to me that oh he's he's a bad he's a bad pitcher in this organization. So I I really don't have a problem with it. It's just going to be interesting to see how long he goes today with with him going out uh, pitching. And relief yeah for sure the one the one benefit the marlins have had is the fact that you've had a, a complete game from sandy on sunday that plus helps a, which helps plus an off day plus then pablo goes seven yesterday so one inning i think from bass um they obviously didn't pitch in the ninth so the bullpen is fully rested fully rested an off day to come um and they're not heading into atlanta so you know they have the benefit of really mixing and matching however they want to do it I'm with you. I've been impressed with what I've seen from Poteet in that long man role. Um, with Eliezer Hernandez, I'm kind of thinking, do we even flip those guys? Like, I'd be intrigued to see what Eliezer could do in a long man role. And you go, do you know what? We're going to ride the hot hand. Cody Poteet, actually, we're going to put him in the rotation. But the doubts I've got with Poteet, and interesting to get your take on this too, it's these constant hand issues on his throwing hand. Last year, it was blisters. This year, it said it was a fingernail issue. Um, on the last start, but actually I did hear back. Um, I don't think it was a fingernail. Um, I think, you know, it was it, it was actually a blister on his thumb again. So Poteet's dealing with these constant blisters, which you know, maybe then takes you back down the path of Poteet being just a long man and that's all they can do just because of these constant problems. What have you made of that? It definitely is something that 
Miami has to has to um, supervise because when you have a issue like consistent blisters or like the like the nail issue and you're a starting pitcher expected to start 30 30 plus times a year that's obviously just not going to happen it, it's not going to happen because you're using your hand you're you're a pitcher you know <laughs> the most obvious reason but um i like to see him as a spot starter i don't think hmm. he's the answer for this um rotation and obviously when luzardo comes back hopefully that brings stability and you, we have to remember as fans, we're all awaiting the the arrival of Max Meyer and Edward Cabrera, both of whom are miles above in potential uh, than Cody Poteet, as much as we like him as a spot starter. So mm. right now, I think it's just about um, giving us good innings, giving the team a chance to compete when he's called upon to start, hopefully give them four or five strong innings tonight and move forward uh, as they get healthier, as the rotation gets healthier. No doubt. Jazz Chisholm came out of the game Sunday, not in the lineup again today, so that's going to be two games missed um, from, from the starting spot. He obviously came out and missed most of the game Sunday as well. How concerning is this that Jazz Chisholm maybe, you know, it could be even an IL stint required. We saw the same with Wendell, the hamstring. You know, we tweaked it. They tried to come back and then ended up on the IL. How do you think the Marlins are going to play this one? How big a blow is this? Well, it's a huge blow because Jazz is the most electric player, not only for the Marlins, but he's one of the most electric players in all of Major League Baseball. So mm -hmm. to have him go down with a hamstring injury, something that aggravated him last year, and I think he missed about a month uh, and was eventually put on the IL, it's pretty, wor it's pretty worrisome because this is, I believe, the third day without him in the lineup, second or third day. Um, because yeah, on Sunday, that's when he re-aggravated it. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know the state of jazz right now, but being as it, he's been playing almost every day and it's a or injury he had last year. It's going to be interesting to see how the, they handle it because right now he's one of the only reasons to watch the Marlins offense as, as bad as it seems, it, it really yeah. is the truth. I was going to say to you, this is the funny thing. I looked at today's lineup. It got posted. No jazz in there. And I, it's basically just a lineup of, like, vanilla. There's, there's a real lack of excitement in that lineup now when it's, you know, okay. They're dealing with some, you know, injury problems, right? But, you know, Cooper Loop at the top of the lineup, it's a funny story. It's a nice story because, you know, Coop leading off. But, you know, Coop's just steady. Aguilar kind of similar like Aggie's just a steady just a decent hitter Soler does have that kind of that home run power Avi Garcia has been terrible Brian Anderson's been on a real nice on base streak but none of these guys Stallings hitting at six right that kind of sums up where the Marlins are at the lineup is just it's just lacking just star power oomph someone that you just are excited to see in that battle like I look at those six guys the top six right now in today's lineup None of them get me excited in terms of their at-bats. Maybe Soler at a push, but really none of them do. And I think that's part of the problem for the Fish here now. They're, they're kind of, they haven't really pushed on. That's the point. Do you think this 2021 or 2022 roster, from a hitting perspective anyway, is actually any better than 2021's version? I think it's a little bit better because of the depth. And that's something I've touched on a lot this season is I have grown to appreciate the depth at the hitting 
uh, level for the fish. But of star power, it's clearly lacking. However, when you have uh, like DLC or John Birdie, once he comes back, he was hitting the ball really good. It gives you a level of comfort where you know if one guy gets hurt, you can you can plug so-and-so. Sorry about that. I don't know it's what's right. happening with the connection. <laughs> it's all good. We got you back. But you can put um, Birdie or DLC into the lineup and with Miggy Rowe, Joey Wendell, mix around, shift the infield around. But there is no star power. There's not that one guy who's going who's gonna to be in the MVP race um, year in and year out like we see with some other clubs. And you summed it up. When you have Koopa Loop hitting at the top, we all love him, but uh, he's not a leadoff hitter, and he should never be hitting leadoff for the fish. There's a problem if that's happening. This is it. We It does feel – I mean – what you've said is completely true. The depth this year is miles better than it was in 2021. And that is the key difference right now, because, you know, we've got to call it out right now. The Marlins were really healthy in the first month. They've got into May and actually quite a few other clubs are feeling the same where the injuries are starting to kick in now in the second month. So we're starting to kind of get that domino effect. But when you look at who was on the opening day roster and who's down hurt, Birdie, uh, Wendell, Miggy was hurt, but has just come back as well. Jazz is hurt right now. Dela Cruz is hurt. Like those five dudes, I know. I don't think. Well, Dela Cruz, I think, was on the opening day roster, but then optioned as they messed around with some um, some arms. But you know, the depth is being tested. Eric Gonzalez has been playing every day for like ten days now, and you know he's yeah he's doing okay, but. You know, it's it's a bit of a struggle. Joe Denan's up now trying to do his thing. Obviously, had a great start to his career, but, you know, he's not in the lineup today. Miggy back in. Um, so, you know, there is more depth, no doubt. But these are the these are the moments now where last year we got on a real bad run because there was just lineups that just couldn't score runs. We couldn't. And... They need, to, they need to keep their heads above water right now. This is survival mode season for the fish because... They're, you know, this tough game too in Tampa wouldn't shock me if the Marlins put, you know, less than three runs on the board in this. You know, Rasmussen's been sensational for the Rays. The Marlins have been owned by the Rays for the past couple of seasons too. You head into Atlanta. They've got all their guys back. They're looking to kind of kick on. You then head to Coors. No matter how, how the Rockies are playing in general, Coors is so tough as an away team. So there's a massive advantage there. It's a real tough road stretch, and the Marlins are really dinged up. They need to hang tough here and try and sneak some wins, I think. And because otherwise, if you're 10 games under, 10 games under in what early June, for me, that's season over. Like it doesn't matter what happens, but for me, that is 10 games under. The Marlins are doing nothing in 2022. What about you? I would agree with you, and I would argue, Peter, that this upcoming series against Atlanta and ultimately Colorado, they are both must-win series um, for, for the Marlins because if they if they drop another two out of three and they go into Coors and they lose that series, it's almost time to um, wave the white flag, if you will, because um, there's just the, the, the depth of the, um, of the NL East this year with Atlanta. They're not going anywhere. They're only going to go up from here and Philadelphia is still a formidable opponent. It's going to be really, really hard to climb out of the hole that big when you don't have 
all these superstars in the lineup. So I think it's make or break time for the fish. It really is. It seems crazy to say that, you know, this series at the end of May, and I know people get caught up in Pete, it's only the end of May, but 10 games under 500 in early June or the end of May, it's not surmountable for the Marlins. It, it isn't because there'll be other guys that'll get hurt. You know, history tells us jazz will have some stints on the IL. Pablo Lopez will probably have a stint on the IL this year. You know, that's what form and history will tell us. Sandy won't because he's an absolute stud and a horse. But, you know, yes, the rotation on paper looks immense. Lozado's already been on the IL. We know Pablo's had problems historically. We know Trevor equally had some, some issues as well last season. Max Meyer's on the IL. Eddie Cabrera's kind of working his way back up, but is unproven at major league level. Like, there's so many question marks here. Um, I just can't see you know, the Marlins 10 games under 500, but what, 15 games back at the Mets, you know, this is the problem too, like 500 ball, if the Mets just continue in their current path, they're going to win 100 games, like the, the division's out of reach. Then you're looking at, can the Marlins do anything with the wild cards? Problem is, yes, you've got one extra wild card spot, but the NL West is still loaded. The Padres, the Giants and the Dodgers are all trying to win 100 games themselves. So there's two spots gone. And then if the Cardinals carry on as they are in the central, listen, in the NL East, it's divisional bust probably. And the Mets look like they're going to get it. There's a decent chance, in my opinion, the Braves don't make the postseason defending the World Series crown. I think it's possible. It's a long way to go. We're only 25% at the end of the year. The Mets always find a way to Mets it up and they will have a cold stretch. And I think they will start to kind of feel the pain. Obviously, Jacob DeGrom, we haven't seen him all year. Max Scherzer are missing two months. McGill's gone down too. So the Mets are being tested. So likely they'll start to come back. But like you said, the Brav, the Bravos, the Phillies, they're going to be wanting to kick on. And can the fish keep up? That's the question. We want to see it. But I am extremely skeptical at this current moment. I think this road stretch, like you said, is, is just critical. It's truly critical to the 2022 season. If things go sideways, what, and we'll finish up on this one. If things go sideways, what kind of moves could you expect from the Marlins? You know, you've got Miggy Rowe, with another year on his deal, you've got a 50-odd million Avi Garcia. You know, Jorge Soler has got a couple of mutual options, so let's just assume that's a one-year that he can opt out of. So potentially movable there with Soler. Avi Garcia, I don't know where they're up to with that. Miggy Rowe, I'm interested to see. Pablo Lopez is in Arb. You know, where do they go? I mean, what options do the Marlins have if they want to actually hit the hit the sell button in this in this 22 season? If the Marlins ultimately do decide to sell, I think that the most obvious one they're going to um, pursue is a trade involving either Garrett Cooper or Jesus Aguilar. And that isn't to say that, oh, Aggies played bad or Coops played bad, um, but it's the just the simple facts, like we talked about earlier, uh, the depth in the minor leagues being blocked. And right now, Lewin Diaz is being blocked by those two being on the roster. So if Miami falls out of contention, I would not only expect, I think it's almost a guarantee that either Coop or Aggie gets traded um, to a contending team for a couple prospects, um, you know, and Lewin Diaz ultimately gets the job at first base to not only finish this year, but head into next year. I hope that's not the case, but I think that's the first one that comes to my head. What about you? Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. I mean, yeah, going back to it, the most likely is Aguilar 
Um, just the expiring deal, you know, Aggie makes a ton of sense. They did the same last year, right, where they effectively moved on. They they sent Simba with Dickerson for the Blue Jays to take Dickerson. You know, that seemed to be the way the deal was constructed to clear the path for Jesus Sanchez. The Marlins absolutely have to do it because Lewin Diaz uh, is out of options after this year, I believe. So the Marlins need to know what they've got with Lewin Diaz at some point this year. And if they fall way back, which it's possible they do, they need to make some moves and get Lewin Diaz up and work out, is Lewin Diaz a legitimate major league level first baseman? I believe he is. He's one of my favorite prospects, has been. I just love the glove, and I think the the potential is is astronomical with Lewin Diaz and gives a level of power. This Marlins roster for the past couple of years has severely lacked, in my opinion. So I'm all for that. I think Aguilar makes total sense. I think if thing if things go sideways, I think they'll move Soler as well. Uh, I think it's it's easy to move Soler um, with the mutual options. No one's kind of forced into those contracts, so um, you know they can get out of that, um, or Soler can anyway if he if he wants to. So I think they can move Soler. Wouldn't shock me if he goes back to Atlanta. To be completely honest, um, the Bravos I think maybe need a bit of depth there. They think they'd like Soler back. Rosario hasn't worked out. I'm not convinced that Rosario is going to be back for the Braves this year at, at any stage. Duvall's having a bit of a down year too. So yeah, I'm I'm really intrigued. Yeah, I'm I'm also then really intrigued to see like a Pablo Lopez, you know, two years of Arb remaining. Um sell high on Pablo. You know, do they go down that path? I think it's an interesting question. That would be very intriguing as as the summer months continue on and the fish fall further behind in the division because you have Pablo Lopez, one of the best pitchers so far this season, who has had a history of injuries. And it's almost like no one knows Pablo as good as the Marlins do, as well as Miami does. And do they trust him to be an ace 1B behind Sandy for the next three, four, five years? I don't know. And the return for Pablo would be astronomical. But like you said, he still has arbitration years left. His deal, you have to think about it. It's going to be tempting. I personally would hate to see Lopez go. I, I love him as a pitcher. I think he's one of the best in the game. And I don't want to see Miami start another, yet another uh, sell, uh, fire sale, if you will. I think it would just be very demoralizing for the fan base. But the offers are going to be huge. I'm with you. I'm completely with you on this, and I didn't expect us to get into a Pablo Lopez trade discussion on this uh, on this episode, but we've got to look at it. We've been saying the Marlins need to go and acquire some, you know, they need a center fielder. They need other pieces. How are you going to make this happen? You've got to trade from your pitching depth, and Pablo Lopez sits in that bracket like he does. Y- you know, you can't just, as Marlins fans, we'd love to send Eliezer Hernandez to the Blue Jays and get back Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, that's not going to happen. You know, no one, no, you know, no one rates Eliezer Hernandez. Hence, why all Marlins fans want to ship him off. If you want true difference makers, four, five war dudes, you got to send Pablo Lopez in return. Like that's just the way it's going to roll. So, and you got to rely on Mel Stoudemire to do his thing. What can he do with Edward Cabrera? What can he do with Max Meyer? He should be able to do the world and you should be able to just pump pump the rotation up. But there's question marks over those dudes. We've seen Eddie Cabrera. It wasn't good. But 
I'm confident Eddie Cabrera will come back real strong this season. I think he'll have a nice year, actually, in 22. We were all on the Max Meyer hype train. Then he's got hurt. Outlook is interesting. Jesus Lozado, he's not throwing still. So, you know, what's going on with Jesus? All of a sudden, you're left with a rotation of, you know, Sandy doing his thing. Pablo absolutely doing his thing too. A kind of below par Trevor Rogers, Cody Poteet, and Eliezer Hernandez. Next thing is the rotation does not look as much of a strength as it could or should be for the Marlins in, in 22. So, yeah, some intriguing conversations and discussions to get into later in the year. Hopefully, the Marlins go on a run. They need a seven-game winning streak or something like they had, and um, they can get themselves right back in this hunt. You know, it's a real tough ask, though, on the road. So we'll wait and see. Um, that is going to wrap us up. We've gone overtime. It was a lot of fun talking with Jeremiah there. So we've gone overtime, guys. Um, but... Jeremiah, before we go, please let everyone know what you're working on. You've got a brand new podcast out. Please take the time and opportunity to pump that to the Locked On Marlins listeners. So for all you Marlins fans out there, uh, I started a podcast called Marlins 9, and you can find it on pretty much all the major podcast platforms. It's a startup uh, project, and I've been happy to have a, a few fans on there such as Eli Sussman from Fish Stripes. And it's been a blast just discussing this team as much as it it pains me to do so at times. But if you guys are interested, check it out. It's called Marlins 9, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jeremiah Geiger 2 if you see on your screen. And I'm just excited. Really happy to be on the show. Love it. Well, guys, uh, Jeremiah, firstly, thank you. Uh, for joining me on Locked On Marlins today on the Wednesday edition. And that is us uh, done and dusted. And we're going to sit back, enjoy game two. Um, thanks for making Locked On Marlins your first listen of the day. Now, if you want to make your second listen, the Locked On MLB podcast, MLB expert Paul Francis Sullivan brings humor, passion, and a unique perspective on every team and the biggest stories around this league. Follow the number one daily league-wide podcast, Locked On MLB on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, guys, Peter Pratt, Jeremiah Geiger, signing out for Wednesday. We are back tomorrow, of course, Thursday episode, and I have another Marlins fan joining me. No spoilers, but it's part of the NL Feast crew, so we'll be digging into that tomorrow uh, and uh, recapping game two of this race series. Until then, guys, enjoy the game today. Go Fish.